Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hi, Isabella. Thanks so much for joining us today. Great to have you with us. I'm so happy to be here with you both. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to dive right in and start talking. Uh, I mean, first thing right out the gate, you know, your role at Cisco is so interesting. Chief of Staff, Director of Business Development and Sales Operations. That's a that's a mouthful. And it looks like you help manage the partner channel. Can you tell us a little bit about what all that means? Sure. Yeah. So this is a really interesting and unique role. And I, if you had asked me 10 years ago when I was an account manager at Cisco, what I would be doing 10 years in the future. This is not the role that I would have described, but I'm, I feel super lucky to be in it. So in my role today, I lead the, we affectionately like to call ourselves the HQ team, but the America's partner organization at Cisco is about a 550, 600 person organization. We manage the $32 billion plus channel business uh, annually through Cisco in the Americas. and. My team specifically leads all of the sales operations as well as some of the business development functions for the organization. So uh, you name it around ops, our team does it and more, which is very fun and also very, very busy. So we do everything from strategy and planning, workforce planning, all of the budgets, um, all of our uh, enablement plans for the organization as a whole, all of the events that we put on. Um, and so much more. So on the sales ops side, we're always really busy. And what we do is really to make the organization successful as a whole. Then on the business development side, when I first came into the role, I helped lead the ecosystem and cloud partnerships, which we spun out because we grew that team to a size where it it needed to stand on its own. And um, we're doing that now with the managed services team as well. So the managed services team we're about to spin out as well, um, but have gotten to have a hand in two of the most important futures of of business development for what we do in the channel at Cisco. That's awesome. And you've been at Cisco now for a decade and a half plus, right, Isabella? Yes. Yep. My 16-year Cisco-versary just passed last month. So it's, it's been a while. That's awesome. And it couldn't be with a better company. I mean, Cisco's as blue chippy as as the brand gets. Um, tell us a little bit about your progression path kind of through that organization, because, you know, it, it can't have been too linear of a progression up to your current role. It absolutely was not linear at all. And um, that's actually one of the things that I share a lot with my mentees is, you know, when I first started at Cisco, I actually, I came into Cisco on a total kind of accident. I, my, my now husband and I were moving to North Carolina so that I could go to law school there. We were moving from LA. And on the way there, one of his colleagues at Cisco was like, hey, I think Isabella would be great for this program I just presented to. It's called the Associates Program. And um, what do you think? And so they sent in my resume without me knowing because that was so long ago that I didn't have my own laptop at the time. And my resume was housed on that laptop. And they called me in for an interview. So I went in and interviewed for the Associates Program, which is this incredible program still going today. Um, it's for uh, for future Cisco sellers and pre-sales engineers. It's a fantastic program. And they offered me a job after a 
multiple interviews. And I looked at my now husband and said, I can't believe I'm about to go do this, but I think I'm not going to law school. I'm going to go do this instead. And so I totally took a total detour from my life plan and started in the associate's program. Basically, we equated it to getting a master's degree in selling technology. Um, you learned how to, you learned about all the solutions. I mean, we all got sort of technical certifications in the program, learned how to present, learned how to role play for customer meetings. And then we all got pushed out of the nest into the field as account managers. I did the account manager role for five years, calling on, on commercial and public sector customers. Absolutely loved it. But at the five-year mark, I was like, okay, I'm ready to try to go do something different, I think. And partners had been a really important part of my success as an account manager. So there was a partner account manager role. So going to work in the channel that was opening up and I was like, hey, I think I want to go try this. And I applied and got the job, um, moved over, worked in that team for five years as as a partner account manager. And then um, while I was in that role... And this is something that I think a lot of leaders experience early in their careers. You know, somebody else sees something in you that where they say, I think you have leadership potential. Why don't you come try this? And so I got to do a lot of development while I was in that role and ended up taking over the team as the leader when our leader moved on, um, did that for several years, and then moved back over into the field sales side as a regional sales manager leading a, a team of sellers in Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada. And then this role came open. And because of that diversity and all the different roles that I had had and all the different projects I had worked on, um, I had the opportunity to step into this role to help uh, partner with our America's vice president to lead the America's partner organization, which has been just a huge, eye-opening, wonderful experience full of tons of learning and tons of success. You dropped a little nugget there that I can't resist diving into. You said, you know, leaders seeing something in you. I'm curious what that was for you. I, I'm i honestly not sure how to answer that. When I've asked in the past, they're like, it's just something that's about how you carry yourself and how you engage with the team. And, you know, I I really like this concept and it's, you know, it's so cliche at this point, but leading from where you are and leading without a title you do not have to have manager, director, or VP in your title to be a leader. Being a leader means showing up with the right attitude, pushing back when it makes sense, being prepared for whatever is coming your way, you know, like embracing what the team is out there to go conquer. And I think I just consistently show up with that attitude in every single job that I'm in. And that's a big part of why I've been able to be so successful. I love that. We've we've heard so many different versions of that from really successful people. And especially, you know, you've had a heck of a trajectory working your way up at Cisco. I think it's kind of a role model. It makes you a role model for a lot of the people who are listening here and thinking, you know, either I work in a giant organization or I'd like to, and or maybe they're in a medium-sized organization, but still thinking, how do I, how do I fight my way through that that next ceiling that's above me? And I think just your point of it not being about just, you don't have, it's not about title. It's not about necessarily getting that one promotion. It's about establishing yourself as a go-to person, as someone who does lead and and helps other people level up. Uh, I think that's a huge call out, especially for the younger people who are listening to this podcast and trying to work their way up. So uh, another question that I wanted to ask about, you obviously are very, very focused on, on personal development. And you talked about setting a different set of goals than normal. 
Uh, you mentioned to us, and this was just when we were chatting earlier, about the difference between climbing a ladder and building skill sets. And I'd, I'd love to hear if you could talk about that a little bit more for our uh, our audience. Sure. So when I think about the the skills that it takes to be a successful fill in the blank, like think about the job that you want to have someday and think about what the characteristics are of the people who are in roles just like that today. And in any given job, we might be doing one or two of those things on a regular basis. But for me, I knew that as an account manager, I was really able to hone my skill with connecting with people and doing all of the background research to understand exactly what was going to be a priority for them and how we could solve it in a compelling way and go in and lead sales campaigns with different customers around that, right? We're not here to sell to them, sell something to them. We're here to solve a problem for them. But sometimes those things end up being the same thing and then you hit your numbers and blow them out of the park. So that's great. Um, But that's a specific skill set. And then, you know, to pivot away from that and to think about, okay, well, what are the other skill sets that I might want to build if one day I want to lead a bigger part of the business? Well, I needed to really understand partnerships, how to form new partnerships, how to talk to people who had no interest in talking to us at all from a business partnership perspective and learn how to sell to them in a different way. And so I did that in the partner account manager role. And in that role, I had to do way more data analysis than I had to in my other role, for example. I had to understand like EBITDAs and I had to understand their P&Ls, all things that I didn't necessarily spend a ton of time doing as an account manager. But that skill set then helped me be a more successful manager when I was a partner sales leader, as well as when I was a regional sales leader. So thinking about, hey, what are those skill sets that I need? Is it public speaking? Is it being able to put together a really compelling message for my for my customer? Is it helping a team reach their goals and their objectives, which is a completely different skill set? Um, I have personally seen people get pushed into leadership roles because they were the most amazing individual contributor. And they were like, they hated it. It didn't speak to their strengths at all. And they hadn't honed the skill sets that were needed to really be successful in that kind of role. So I think moving around is really can be really valuable. And my philosophy has always been that three to five years in a single role with a certain title is probably the right amount of time, a year to learn the role, a year to perform the role well, and then a year to really knock it out of the park and just do amazing things in it and give back to the team. And then after that, if you're not willing to keep recommitting yourself and keep reinventing yourself, it's probably time to find a new role where you can build new build upon the skills you've already got and, and find some new skills and new contexts within to practice those skills. Just one quick follow-up. Uh, I really love that so much. And one question that I have when you say that is, you know, you committed to that early. You came almost right out of college and started doing that at Cisco. How did you come to that realization and realize it was worth committing? You know, it's it's easy to say, it's hard to take all of your skills, put them aside and restart every three to five years. And you've done that from the beginning. So how did you, did did a mentor teach you that? Did you just figure that out yourself? Yeah, I have been really lucky to have great mentors, but I've also, I think I've just always naturally been really inquisitive and curious. And um, I'm not going to say that I have ADD or I get bored easily, but I feel like once I've mastered something, I'm kind of ready. Like I, it's just in my DNA to kind of naturally want to 
go look at what else is out there. And I think a lot of people have that. And I think there are a lot of people who have been in roles for a really long time who, for whatever reason, haven't wanted to get uncomfortable in doing something new because doing something new is incredibly scary and also is incredibly hard. Every time I've made a move, the first three or six or sometimes nine months of that new role has been ridiculously hard and you know has required a lot more time and a lot more energy but it's always been worth it because it's building that new muscle memory in new different ways so my question is really building off of what you've just shared around i'm wondering if you could unpack for us your process talking about you've learned how to create compelling messaging doing something new and learning how to talk to people who didn't necessarily want to talk to you. Walk us through, because these are the the hallmarks of opening up and starting a conversation that are so critical to business from cradle to grave. <laughs> Give yeah. us a window into your world and your process. The first thing I'll share is I have this leadership philosophy of people first, clarity of mission and authenticity and, and passion. Though like if you that's who I am as a leader. And if you were to ask me, hey, how are you going to show up tomorrow? I'm going to put people first. I'm going to provide a clarity of mission and I'm always going to do it super authentically and super passionate. And I'm probably on the transparent side of leaders. Like people will know if I'm having a shitty day or not. Sorry if I'm not allowed to swear on this. You are. Go um, so when I think about like unlocking new conversations with people, with customers or business partners or someone who I want to engage with, I always go to people first. People are humans. I asked you guys what you had for lunch earlier today because it grounds us into who we are as humans first, right? And you never know what someone has just been going through the hours before or the days before we are engaging in a conversation. So I just think making some human connection is really, really important. And you can prepare all you want. You can do all the LinkedIn research you want. You can read all the you know, everything that's available online. But at the end of the day, you're sitting in front of a human being um, who maybe just got in a fight with someone or maybe they just got promoted. And if you can kind of tune into some of that personal energy that they're giving off and just connect with them as humans first. And then next, if they're a customer or a business partner, they have their own goals that are driving them. And the more you can just really tune into what are those goals and ask real questions like, I'm really genuinely interested in helping you. So the more you can help me understand how you're measured, what your biggest priority is. And I know I hate this question, but I still ask it. It's like, I wake up, I know what I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about. I know everybody's got those thoughts. The more you are willing to share with me what some of those things are that can help inform me to help you in a better way, the better like this partnership is going to go. So I think just having those real conversations and really showing up with that genuine desire not to make a sale, but to solve a problem is the core to the success, no matter what kind of relationship you're trying to build. You know, it's funny, like from years on the buy side, I, I get the, what keeps you up at night question too. And I, I have the exact same reaction that you do which is one of, uh, everybody asks that and it's so commonplace and frankly, but I do, there are things that keep me up at night. I think it's all about the sequencing, don't you? Like when you ask that question, earning the yes. right to ask that question so that it doesn't just come 
scripted off the top and sound like you're asking that of everybody, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, part of part of the sales process that I used to go to go through um, as a as an account manager with my customers was at some point we would get to a reference architecture. I could not walk in on the first day with a reference architecture printed up on a giant poster board and have them want to engage in a conversation with me. I needed to earn the right to get their top of mind, get their get the information out of them directly, regardless of the research that I had done. I needed them to validate or or shoot down the research I had done and correct me in order to put that information on a reference architecture and then put a true solution together that was for them. So in every step of the way, it's, um, it is, to your point, you've got to build on that relationship. And I will never forget, there was a customer very early on, I was on the road with a business partner of mine. It was it was her customer. They weren't my customer. They were her customer. Um, and I was interested in, to br- in breaking into that customer with her. And I could tell right off the bat that this customer was like very hostile towards, towards me. I took it. It wasn't towards me. It was towards my company. And at, at some point I was just like, Hey, I get the sense that, that, that there's something that's causing you t- to be, you know, um, to feel kind of negative about me sitting in the room here with you in this meeting. And I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. If you're willing to share with me kind of what's happened to put you in this mindset meeting me, I would love to hear it because if I don't understand that, then I I don't know how to help you. And if you would rather that I leave, I'm happy to walk out. And his response at first was like, yeah, I think I'd prefer you to leave. And I was like, totally respect that. I got up, walked out of the room went into the lobby area and was just sitting there like on my phone, like, okay, I guess I'm just going to hang out here until my business partner comes out and we go to our next meeting. And 15 minutes later, she came back out and she was like, actually, I think he, he said he'd be okay with you coming back in. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I went back in and I had to give him that space to like, to get there mentally. And then he shared with me that he had had a really bad experience with some technical support pre- like years before, and it put him in a bad light. And him sharing that with me opened the door for me to be able to empathize with that and move on. And they became a customer. Like it took another year, but they became a customer. But it's, again, everyone's human. You don't know what circumstance they're coming at you with. And just connect, being able to connect and then earn the right to build on that relationship is what's so important. Um, And then you'll be in a position where years later, like 10 years, 12 years later, you get invited to their retirement party, which I'm going to next month. (laughs) That's awesome. So play the long game. It actually does. It it works out a lot better in the long run. Yeah, it really does. Yes. You know, we planned on actually talking about this a little bit later in the conversation, but it just segues too nicely. Uh, You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about in this new role, how some people actually try to reach out to you and communicate. And uh, by the way, if we haven't said it already on this on this call, congratulations uh, on that role. That said, you know, I can only imagine, I know how many emails I get and LinkedIn messages and phone calls. I can't imagine how many you get in yours. A lot of the people listening today, I'm sure probably in that inbox somewhere. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the other ones are wondering, you know, rather than asking what works, because anyone can ask that. And I think you're right, kind of talking about that already. What doesn't work? And what are you seeing a lot of that seems like it would make sense from their perspective, but from yours, it's just never going to get to you. Uh, you know, from your perspective differently than someone who's actually out there making cold calls and all these other things, where are some of the misunderstandings in the space? 
Yeah. So I think I mentioned earlier, but I've, I've never been in a position where I've gotten so many unsolicited phone calls and emails about different solutions that all of which I'm sure have some degree of relevance and, and some degree of potential impact they could make with our organization. You know, the challenge that I have is I am, you know, going through my my regular, very intense schedule every single week. And Email, like I will just say this for anyone who is listening, who is trying to get into Cisco, email is not my strong suit. And there are a lot of leaders internal to Cisco that I know email is not their strong suit either. So that's like just number one. So stop. So (laughs) email is not the right approach. But just like I, I think it's so important to like do your research on your customer, understand what they've got going on. There are so many customers who are very vocal on Twitter and on LinkedIn and through different mediums, right? And and doing clubhouses and things like that. So if there's a specific person that you're trying to get to, try to find some connecting point that way first. I'm going to be much more likely to respond to you if we've connected in one of those other ways first. I think the other piece is I'm one person. I, I get to work with a team of highly, highly effective, incredible professionals who all have different roles and all of whom I've mentioned and have referred to in my LinkedIn posts for the amazing work that they do. And maybe one of them is actually the better person to try to build a relationship with first. You know, we have a, an incredible communications manager. And so if you're, you know, if, if the thing that you're trying to pitch is related to making our slides really beautiful... I'm not the I'm I'm not the person for that. That's probably our communications manager. So I just think taking more time to be more personalized and have that conversation because the last thing you want is for your whole domain to be blocked on our email server. Do you find that happens often? I mean, I don't know. I, I can't speak for anyone else, but <laughs> how often are you DQing maybe. somebody in that fashion? <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna plead the fifth. On no comment. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I know the answer. That might be one of our first no comments, but that's uh, we're setting you up on this one. <laughs> so I think it sounds like the lesson for a lot of those listening might not be, or the question to be asked might not be so much, how do I cold prospect a senior leader at a very large enterprise organization? So much as, should I be cold prospecting a senior leader first at a very large enterprise organization? Maybe they, there's something else they should be doing in the first place before they go to someone yeah. like you and say, check out what I have to say. Yeah. And I, I I think the other thing is we all talk to each other, right? I mean, so I talk to my peers from the other groups in the Americas all the time. And the best way for me to find out about something that, that is working in someone's business is to hear it from one of them. And so I know it just takes that one place to break into, but maybe that's an area to focus on. Hey, do you already have a relationship somewhere else in this business? If someone internal to Cisco or internal to one of my business partners is referring you directly to me, that's going to be a way higher success rate than if it's a just a straight up cold call or cold email. And then also I just have to add in if you've sent the cold email and haven't gotten any responses, and then you consistently send weekly thoughts, question mark, and that's the only e- part of the email as like a follow-up email, please stop doing that. That That is not that is not effective. And that may land you on that list I would not comment on earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Hope everyone's taking notes. Well, one of the things that's so funny is like thoughts also for buy-side consumption requires people to do work. 
oh my gosh, you know, like thoughts about what? Like life? <laughs> the Earth's position to the sun? Like, you know, what do you want to know? I've got to go through thread up, you know, to read your original message that I ignored the first time around, like just so that I can get <laughs> like into your slipstream. That seems very far-fetched. Yeah, I agree. Well, I wanted to change us or rather I wanted to pull us back to a previous topic and look at a different angle. You mentioned earlier mentorship a little bit. You mentioned that you like to be involved in it. And then when we were talking before the podcast, you mentioned that you're actually pretty actively involved in it regularly and that you encourage others to do so as well. So I'd love to hear your take on mentorship. Sure. So I, I'm just a really, really big proponent of knowing that each individual is only ever going to see their world through their own like worldview. And then the way to open up and expand that worldview is through new experiences that you yourself go on or learning about experiences other people have had, right? By reading, by listening to podcasts, and by engaging with mentors and being able to ask someone direct questions and and follow-ups and and getting some of that coaching that maybe it's questions they're not comfortable asking their direct leader about, or maybe it's something that they don't feel comfortable asking teammates about. But finding those people in your career that have done something or are on track to do something that you yourself aspire to and that you have some kind of natural connection with where you can have a conversation about, hey, I'm thinking about doing something different. I've been in my job for four years. I'm doing really well in it. It's very comfortable, but I'm getting that itch to like think about what's next. Mentors are incredible people to have those types of conversation with. And I know that for me, mentors have made such a big impact on my career because like mentors are the people for me that have seen me from outside of myself before I could see myself in those different roles that they envisioned for me. And, you know, imposter syndrome is such a big like tagline these days. And we see it in a lot of news articles and on a lot of podcasts, but um, I for sure suffer from imposter syndrome still to this day. Like that. The reason I say yes to doing podcasts like this is because I'm hoping that maybe somewhere there's that magical serum that will cure me of my imposter syndrome. Because every <laughs> single day I'm like, how how did I get into this role? Because I know I'm doing it and I'm knowing I'm doing it well, but like I'm sure there's someone else who could be doing it better than me, right? And mentors are also there to say, like, no, you're killing it. This is what you're doing really well. And maybe these are the other things you can think about to branch out in your skill set or something like that. But I love being a mentor. I love being mentored. I'm st- I still have mentors and that's something I actively engage in. I sit down and I think about for the next 6 months who are one or two people that I want to learn from. And I reach out to them and I just say, "Hey, I'd love to learn from you. I've watched you do these things in your career. I've watched you do these things currently on this project. I'd love just to spend an hour a month with you over the next 3, 6, however many months." And, and just ask you some questions and engage with you. And what I found is people will invest in you because people are like genuinely give us, I mean, at least within Cisco and in our industry, people have been genuinely very giving of their time and of their experience. Um, and I get so much satisfaction about with helping other people be successful in their career. So I find it super satisfying for me to engage in that activity with people who are earlier in their career. You know, I think that's awesome advice and people have a hard time figuring out what mentorship should look like. The one most common question I get about this uh, that 
you know, you covered how to ask for it. You covered uh, the types of people to go after. Um, what does mentorship mean? Like, what, it, what does it look like to you when you're actually having a conversation with someone? A lot of the questions I get are, you know, what do I just ask for life advice? Do I, you know, say, how do I get good at this thing and hope they have a good answer? Like, how do you make a, a productive mentorship yeah. relationship? I think there's there's a lot to be said for having some a semblance of structure to the mentorship. So, and this is something that like no, not very many people talk about. I think we've kind of stumbled upon it on our own, and then I've learned more about it by enrolling, like engaging in formal mentorship programs. But number one, I think mentoring should be time bound. You should upfront set, hey, I'd like to spend, to what I said, an hour a month for the next six months with you. And then I think it pays to be focused in what kind of mentorship you're looking for. Is it, I, I need a mentor to help me with my career strategy. So like a general, more of a general mentor. I need a mentor to help me through a specific project I'm working on or a specific task or skill set I'm trying to improve upon. Or I'm looking for a mentor to help me with my next career step, a very specific one. So like I've mentored quite a few people who have taken the step from individual contributor to people leader over the past couple of years. That's been kind of one of those things. And there are other people in my network at my level who we share the mentees. We're like, this person is a hypo person. Go invest some time in them. And just spending that time, like literally refining their interview decks, doing mock interviews with them asking them those challenging questions of like the the deeper questions you never have to ask yourself when you're an individual contributor but you need to be able to answer if you're going for a people leader role like those are all things that you can do as a mentor for others or that as a mentee you can ask for help from a mentor with i i have the the strong impression listening to this that we are listening to probably a upper 1% kind of like mentorship guide right now in what you're telling us, Isabella, because the fact that you've got a, a structured approach and the fact that you can break this down and, and anticipate really what scenarios a mentee or when you're the, the mentee yourself go through is a very enlightened point of view, to be perfectly honest. I'm really interested in what you just said about moving from individual contributor to people leader, because I think that that's probably for sales teams the world over, a especially especially on the enterprise sales development front where you know people move from SDR to SDR manager every single day oftentimes without a lot of success what are some of the the, the coaching and or hallmark points that you kind of framework out your mentees about that exact shift yeah so the first thing we talk about often is because the people that we're talking to who are you know, on the list or have been identified as maybe the next manager um, are often the people who have had the best results. And the best results alone is not going to give you what you need to be a great people leader. Being a manager is a totally different job from being an SDR. Yes, you have to do the work. You have to be able to be like sit in the SDR or the account manager or whatever, you know, whatever role it is that you're leading. You've got to be able to sit in those shoes, but more importantly, you've got to be able to lead a team, which is a completely different job because number one, you cannot be a super SDR. You can't step in and do everybody's jobs for them. So you have to be able to transfer your experience as a successful SDR into 
how you can coach people to lean into their strengths, which might be very different from your strengths, how they can lean into their strengths to be successful in their own way. And that's one of the biggest hurdles new leaders have to go through is understanding that every single person is going to approach the job in a different way. And they are not going to be able to fit into your cookie cutter mold if you want a truly successful diverse team. Um, Number two, you have to really understand what the goals are. And it is amazing to me how many people I talk to when they're like, I want to get into people leadership. And they talk about all the reasons why. And they never acknowledge that the people leadership role or the team manager role exists to deliver results back to the business. That's why there are managers. Managers are there to herd the cats so that del- so that you can deliver results back to the business on behalf of the team. That's what a manager's job is. And that can be a very lonely and thankless job. And you have to be willing to not be the person in the spotlight and not get the awards and the, and the recognition. You're the one giving rewards, giving recognition, and knowing that because the team is successful, that's when you become successful. That is a really hard concept for some people to wrap their heads around. And that's something that for everyone who comes to me that says, I think I want to be a manager next, like, okay, have you thought about these things? Tell me about your perspective on them. Like, have you really thought them through? What a wonderful sanity check. And, you know, what's also funny about that is, and and we should repeat it because it's such wise advice about (laughs) management exists to deliver results back to the business. That actually flies almost diametrically in the face of individual contributor success, doesn't it? Yep. I mean, it's almost like a cocoon where you have to shed one skin and metamorphize into (laughs) another. Yeah. um, But it goes, that goes back full circle to, you cannot be a super fill in the blank. Like, I can't be a super account manager or a super partner account manager or super SDR and do everyone's jobs for them. There is no way the team is going to be successful if each person, each individual isn't, you know, coached individually and individually made successful. That's when collective team success happens. Um, And underlying all, and I like to say like, you know, there are two ways you can do this or more than two ways, but on one extreme, it's like, you can create the best team culture where everyone cares about each other. There's a willingness to help. Um, everyone clearly understands what's expected of them, what their goals are, and what their personal path to achieve their goals are going to be. And on the other end, you can be a total dictator and just be a jerk to work for, and everyone's going to have negative conversations about you around their dinner table about you. Like those are, you know, on the two ends of the extremes. Like, what kind of leader do you want to be? Obviously, we all want to think that we're the leaders that are, you know, creating that amazing team culture. But that in itself is a totally different job than calling on customers and closing deals. That requires so much thought and so much strategy around how to create great teams and keep them running and keep them keep that performance sustained. What do you recommend for the, you know, for example, the SDRs out there who are starting to perform really well, they're ready to move up and they realize, or maybe after listening to this, they realize that they don't want to be a team leader. They want to move up from SDR because of what they've done so well. So what would be your advice to someone like that? Is it to shift into a totally different space and add another skill set? And then also what's your advice to the teams who are, I hate to put it this way, but trying to avoid the Peter principle? Yeah. So I think there's so many opportunities out there. And I mean, just like 
I think I've read 10 articles about the great resignation and people looking for more and looking for different in their, in the way that they're spending their time uh, working. And there's so much opportunity out there. So if it's, okay, I've, I've grown in my career this far. I, I'm ready to do the next thing, but I'm not sure that management is right for me. Okay, well, is there an adjacent product or an adjacent vertical you want to get into where you can take... I'm, I have made um, two very clear uh, horizontal moves in my career where it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't a promotion to move, but it made such a big difference for me and my experience. Um, and of course, negotiated a little bit better pay and things like that. But I've made horizontal moves. There is no shame in that, in moving around to expand your skill sets, expand your horizons and, and, and look at different parts of the business. And the other thing is maybe you love being like a top performer on the team and, and you love helping other people, but you don't want that to be your full-time job. That's great. Every single team needs that person. Um, you know, sometimes called the first follower, like every single team needs that person who is enthusiastically helping the team, like propel the team in the right direction from within the team. I, I love those people. I always, I'm always looking for those people for, for the teams that I, I lead. And um, I mean, that's a role you can play no matter what your job title is or no matter where you are. Um, and then for the teams that are, that are, you know, looking for the next leaders of their teams, I think it's just so important to do a really thorough job in, in the interview processes. And I've been I've, I've gone through many different interview processes and it's still so interesting to me that sometimes the person who ends up with the job is just like three months later, you're just scratching your head. Like, where did we go wrong? How did we get it so wrong? Because we were blinded by the results they had driven as an individual contributor, but their clarity to deliver on that. Your job is to build the team to deliver the results. Their, their ability to communicate that was not there during the process. Or it was, but it wasn't. It wasn't true. And that, I think that's the other piece of advice I always give to mentees: don't ever contort yourself into something that you're not when you're interviewing for a different job. Because if you get the job and you have turned yourself inside out to do it, you're going to hate it, and they're not going to like having you there. That's awesome advice. And uh, you know, there's a way that we have a we have a custom of how we usually close these conversations. I think we could ask you about apparently another two three hours of questions, but we always like to give people a chance to frankly, just pitch themselves, pitch their their company, anything that they want to put out there. Uh, I don't think it, it has, uh, it fits in really well with what we're doing here because the types of people that we have as guests often really align to the types of listeners we have. So whatever you're doing, you know, Cisco obviously is something that all of our listeners are aware of. Um, so if you do have anything you'd like to pitch, whether it's your team, your products, anything like that, it's a great time to do it. So when I think about why I've been at Cisco for 16 years and why I will continue to be at Cisco for many more years is because I know that we make a huge impact for all of our customers, regardless of what kind of business or customer you are. Um, and we're doing that by delivering really incredible platforms that safely and securely connect anyone to anything anywhere in the world. Um, and I stand by just being super proud of the portfolio that we offer our customers, but also how much we care about our customers being successful through our business partnerships and by ensuring that they just have like this incredible experience working with us. And that's why I love being in the partner organization is because partners play a really, really big role in ensuring that our customers are successful 
And at the end of the day, Cisco would not be anywhere were it not for this huge group of customers that we've built out globally. Um, and I'm excited to see where we're going next because we're venturing into all these new areas. We're on AWS Marketplace now. Um, we're entering into new partnerships with some of the uh, GSIs. And I just love all of the new doors that it's opening for how we can engage with our customers in new and different ways, especially as our customers have gone through just the hardest year and a half ever in you know in history for our generation. And we are in a great position to make a huge difference for them. And we're really committed to it. And I know I'm surrounded by people who are committed to doing that. So um, I think that's just what I would say about why I love being at Cisco and why I love engaging with our customers and partners while I'm at Cisco. What a wonderful answer. <laughs> that's great. Put you on the spot and you, you, you shine. <laughs> Thanks. 